This is Michelle Lasley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. My guest today is Colin Thompson. He uses the pronouns he, his, him. Colin is a Canadian-born Jamaican and founder and CEO of Oligay Enterprises in Shanghai, a business consulting company that focuses on coaches, coaching, training, and blockchain technologies. Specializing in personal development, diversity, and career coaching, Colin coaches individuals and groups on how to reach their dreams, goals, and desires. Colin developed an extensive background in the information technology field, working for blue chip organizations such as IBM, Ernst & Young, and Howard University. In addition, Colin is a co-founder of Xchains, a blockchain-based educational and workforce platform for assessments, training, coaching, and the award of digital credentials. Colin graduated from Howard University in 1995 with a bachelor's degree of administration degree in computer-based information systems in 2006 with a double concentration MBA in supply and chain management and e-business technologies. In his downtime, he enjoys pushing himself through competing in various events such as marathons and triathlons with his wife, Kay. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, hey, Michelle, thank you for having me. And hearing my bio, I have definitely have to, I need to rewrite that because <laughs> it is, um, wow. <laughs> the one point it sounded good, now it just sounds like fluff. <laughs> okay. Um, what is one thing you would add to your bio that would be the most substantive thing you can think of right now? Oh my gosh, I would have to add that um, in addition to my wife and I doing uh, triathlons and whatnot, running together, my son, I have a son who's like one year and two weeks old. And if I, you know, it, my, my wife would stab me in my heart because I didn't even mention my son in my bio. So I definitely have to add my son in my bio. I am almost 50. So, you know, when you have a child, Later, you know, I had a, a, a late-term child and have it later, you know, the, the son becomes more of a, a major, 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 major part of your life. So I would definitely add that I have a, a healthy, mischievous one-year-old boy. That sounds fantastic. Congratulations. And I'm glad that uh, we got to add that addendum so that your wife doesn't have to stab you in the heart. <laughs> She'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> I was also struck by the marathons and triathlons. I am not that movement focused. And so folks who do like to do the marathons and triathlons, I just admire that sort of uh, perseverance. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And, and I want to share with you a, a, my birthday ritual later. And so if you can make a note to ask me about my birthday ritual, I I'll come back to that later on in the interview. Yes. Okay. I'm making a note. So I've had a lot of coaches on. Um, coaches have been attracted to seeking out my solicitation for be on my podcast. And I'm just curious, you know, everybody kind of comes to it from a different way. And, you know, I just, we're all snowflakes, right? We're all, we're all unique and we all bring a different vision to this. So I'm curious, why did you want to become a coach? It's very interesting. I want to go back to your snowflake analogy. I think that, first of all, I don't believe that all snowflakes are different. <laughs> I think that there are some, there are some duplicate snowflakes. I think that people become coaches. I think most coaches come from a similar place. They want to help individuals. I think all coaches, I think, I'm, I'm not sure who, who we've had on, but I think it may be um, 
but I would say very similar that we want to help people. Now, for me, coaching was like the final combination in a lock. As we go through life, we're all striving to be our best selves. We're all striving to, to answer questions. You know, why am I here? How can I help people? How can I be very conscious? My, my thing has always been motivating people, always been helping people to be their better selves. And part of this comes from my journey from Canada to the U.S. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of times minorities who grew up in the U.S., if you're born in the U.S., from the time you come out of your mother, you have certain things against you meaning that there are institutional things that are meant to hold you down or hold you back. So you have a yoke on you. Sometimes if you're an immigrant to the U.S. like I am, you have a different belief. When you come to the U.S., you're very, very hungry. You're really trying to, you come there trying to take advantage of being in the U.S. And that's very important because you don't have any limitations on you. You believe you can do everything as opposed to being told from, from when you're born, you can't do A and you can't do B. So being an immigrant to the U.S., I always had the belief that, hey, man, look, if you work hard, if you do A, B, and C, you can do it. So, so as I grew up, I always found myself in positions where I'm trying to encourage people to do more. You know, look, you may, you know, you, you may have things against you or you may be in a situation where you have to work harder, then work harder. Don't look at the things holding you back. So I've always been a motivational guy, inspirational guy. And about three, four years ago, about five years ago, actually, I was uh, recruited to do some internal coaching uh, in my organization at the time that was with IBM. And when I learned about coaching, that was what I call the final piece of the puzzle, the final combination in that lock. Meaning, you know, Michelle, I can, you know, give me 45 minutes with you. I will motivate the hell out of you, okay? I will, man, I will, you will go to your husband, you will slap him, you will tell him you got to do better, yada, yada, yada. Say it's it's Friday morning here. By Saturday, you're still fired up. By Sunday, you're fired up. By Monday, Tuesday, not so much. By Wednesday, you may have reverted back to your old way of working. That's inspiration motivating. It's hard to maintain that sometimes. Coaching, I found, coaching is the piece that says, you know what? It's not about motivation, inspiration. It's about working with somebody and helping somebody it really transform their lives and going from A all the way to B. Now, motivating, I can talk to you about, hey, man, here's how you go from A to B. Going from A to B is the best thing in your life. But I'm not with you for that transformation. With coaching, you're with that person Going, while they're going through the transformation. And once I learned that part of coaching, it was literally the final the final combination, the final piece of the puzzle. And it really helped me to realize that, it actually confirmed that my desire to motivate people was something that's internal to me. And now I know how to do what? Not to fire you up, but how to help you literally go from A to B, how to help you reach your dreams, goals and desires. So for me, coaching allowed me to, to not just talk, talk, but help people walk the walk. And I have not looked back and it's been a, it's interesting because it's been a, it's one of those things where you, you talk to people and they come back to you a year or two later and say, you know, Colin, 
that thing you talked to me about or that thing you said really helped me change my life. And there's nothing, not no amount of money that can really make you feel as good as somebody saying, you know what, Colin, you're now part of my story. I changed my behavior and you're part of that improvement story. So that's what coaching or that's why I got into coaching. So, so it became a real solid thing for you to see where you could help people in a, in a just a much more deep and meaningful way. More meaningful and consistent because, you know, people have always come to me and said, Colin, you know what? I'm feeling a certain way. Motivate me. Inspire me. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I love doing that. Man, you know, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. You know, knock on my door. I will motivate you, inspire you. But what I found, Michelle, was I can motivate you now. And then a month later, here you are again. And a month later, here you are again. And a month later, here you are again. And I don't mind doing it two or three times. Right. But my thing is, come on, man, you have to you have to stick. If I have to keep motivating you, something is not sticking. There's something missing. So so coaching, coaching was a piece that allowed me to say, you know what, let's talk about some techniques. Let's talk about why you're not able to 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 improve your life. Let's work on how to do it. So it was really going from just what I call the 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 infomercial, the commercial into Let's actually work together, hold hands, and get you from here to there. So I like—I'm a vision gal, right? And so I want to have a picture of you know this this rose-colored utopia, for lack of a better phrasing. So if if a majority of the people on our planet could get some type of coaching that does that, helps lead them from point A to point B, and have some really substantial results, so they can realize their dreams, goals, and desires. What do you think our world would look like? Okay, so I, I don't think I don't think that's 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 gosh, I say I don't think it's possible. And what what I mean by that is, if 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 everything we do is super, then there's no normal. Okay, right? The super, the super becomes the new normal. And the reason I say that I don't think it's possible is because maybe I've lived in this world too long. And the reason I say that is because, um, that to me, that's not how things are, are made. But I'll say this. If people who are ready mm-hmm. to make the transformation, make the transformation, then it's contagious. It's absolutely contagious. So what I, what I mean by that is, Michelle, if, if I work with you or you work with another coach or you just do it on your own and you improve your life, odds are the life of your family your husband and your friends are going to improve also because they're going to say, you know, Michelle, I noticed that you've really improved your life. What happened? And you're going to say, well, you're going to do, you're going to do two things. You're going to say, here's what I did. And let me show you how I did it. So you're going to help them as well. It's like paying it forward. So I think the more people who improve their life, whether it be from coaching, whether it be from just doing some, 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 some um, um, mindfulness thinking, whatever, the more people that are living a life by design and a life they want to live, the more they'll help other people to do it. You know, there's a very, very famous saying that says, if you want to live a life of, of abundance, help more people live their life of abundance. So I think having that mentality, but you have to be realistic. Not everybody is ready. And so when I think about coaching, I have a lot of people come to me for coaching and I have, to, I have to actually do a little filter and say, 
you know, and talk to them. Are you ready or are you not ready? Because people who are not ready are what? Are not ready for several reasons. So you want to focus on people who are ready. So going back to your question, I think that if, if we're able to, um, if people who are ready for that transformation are able to do it, you're going to see a lot of change and you're going to see a lot of harmony in the world or harmony within a country. Um, people who are not ready, hopefully will be ready tomorrow or, or, or further down the road. But I think, I mean, you know, I'm looking at people and saying, you know what, what if everybody was able to, to transform? I would say, no, nah, one by one, find one person who they will transform, help them transform and keep doing that. What kind of clients do you see right now? That's a great question. Right now, being here in China, previously, I would say, if you go back six months, I had a, a very beautiful, uh, what I would say, diverse group uh, made up of foreigners. When I say foreigners here, I mean people from Europe, from Africa, from the U.S., from South America, and, and Chinese. I am in China, so the majority are Chinese. Right now, today, the vast majority are Chinese. The reason being, uh, due to the coronavirus, a lot of uh, foreigners who left during the, in, in early days still cannot come back to China. So that has um, um, impacted the people who are here. Now, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of this thing called Zoom, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Which is, which I've been using Zoom for years, but Zoom is very hot these days. Yes, it is. Um, luckily, yeah, luckily with Zoom, I'm still able to coach a lot of people who are outside of the U.S., but most, excuse me, outside of China, but most people who are in the U.S. right now, they're still going through the throes of the coronavirus. Um, they're still going through the throes of racial injustice. So right now, um, the coaching I'm doing with them, I call it COVID coaching, but it's really just still life coaching. Uh, the, but the vast majority of my clients are Chinese. I'll tell you what, they are young Chinese. When I say young, I mean between the ages of about 23 and 30. And they're, you know, they're, for a lot of them, I'm giving them coaching uh, on how they can uh, identify and reach their next goal. Meaning, you know, if you think about in China, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure for kids growing up to study, 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 get a job. And from, from the time they're, they're young kids, they're not given the ability to really think themselves. So they're told, you know what, study this topic, go to college for this topic, get a job in this area. A lot of them, after working for just two, three years, say, you know what, this is not what I want to do. How can I really uh, develop the courage to try something new? And it's, it's, it's really a big mental step here. In the U.S., people go through this in their 30s after working 10, 15 years and saying, you know what, I'm ready for a change in my career. But in China, you see it literally between somebody working between, I would say, two to about seven years. They're ready for that change. Oh, that's fascinating. I wonder what the difference is and why it happens a little bit earlier for the, your Chinese clients than uh, Americans. Well, I, I can tell you, in the U.S., we're given in the U.S. A lot of kids, some a lot of parents say, you know what, uh, grow up and go to school, study in college, choose your major, choose your major, and then get a job that you like. Mm -hmm. In China, it's not like that. In China, when a child is five or six years old, you know, I'll tell you on the weekends, for example, after school, you won't see a lot of kids in the park. 
You won't see a lot of kids playing sports outside because the, the, the child's um, um, classmates after school are taking piano lessons, are taking Spanish lessons, are taking art classes. So the parents said, you know what? I must do that just for my son or, or daughter to be able to compete. So a lot of times the child is being forced to do all these extracurricular things that are about learning, not about fun, okay? Not about fun. So by the time the child is in college, they've been told what to do their entire life. They've been told a week after school, language class, art classes, in college, take this major. Not, it's not about what you wanna do. After they graduate, they're still told, take this job. And a lot of times you may go to school for, let's say finance, but you may take a job that's not in finance whatsoever. You take a job based on opportunity. So a lot of times they have no choice in their life. And you and I both know that once a child goes away and gets older, they start to experience things on their own. They start to have their own dreams and desires. And that's a major, major difference. After three or four years of working, they say, you know what, I'm working now in, in engineering. I never liked it. I, I don't want this to be my life. And the younger generation, I think globally, they're they're much more um, much more ready to say, you know what, I don't like this, I don't want to do this. This what's my life about? They want more, we talk about sustainability, they want jobs that are more giving back to the earth. So so they they're they're really bucking the trend and saying, you know what, this is not something I want to do. And my parents don't have as much influence over me right now because I'm outside of their home. Right. And they're really, really making that change. Whereas in the U.S., you know, my parents said, what do you want your major to be? Right. right. Where are you going to work? Yeah. So I think that's a major, major difference. Right. And so almost as if we like settle into the choice that we made, even if maybe in that first year or two, we realize it's not what we want, but we're giving it the good old college try, if you will, for a little bit longer. Whereas right. they're like, you know what? I've been told for two, two and a half decades. That's interesting. I'm curious to dig into more, but um, I don't want to talk about that too much more right now. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, let's dig in a little bit more to um, your journey. Okay, sounds good. Welcome back. So you kind of alluded to this uh, in an earlier part of our conversation and when we chatted before about some differences that you noticed between how the U.S. and Canada specifically treats people. And I was just curious if we could, I'm curious how different cultures treat different people in general. And and because it's not always universal, uh, and so as as a, a a black presenting Jamaican man going from Canada to the U.S., what was that like? It was it was life changing. In in a, I guess I must say a positive way, but not really. Okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, when I left Canada. I was eight years old. And let me say, um, my parents are double immigrants. Um, I'm a proud immigrant to the U.S. And I say double immigrants because my parents left Jamaica, immigrated to Canada, and then immigrated to the U.S. 
Um, I was eight years old at the time when we went from Canada to the U.S. And I know most countries, all countries, have uh, challenges with with uh, discrimination uh, based on either race, uh, gender, um, religion, or whatnot. I do know that being going from being zero years old to eight years old in Canada, perhaps my parents did a very good job of shielding me from the discrimination in Canada because I don't recall any discrimination in Canada. Now, maybe maybe they would say it's different, have a different view because they were adults at the time. But again, I didn't feel any of that. I recall playing with my with my neighbors and their kids and you know all different beautiful hues from very, very uh, dark to very, very light. I know that from the very moment we moved to the U.S., that was different. Uh, in the U.S., you know, I was sat down and told, okay, here are certain neighborhoods you don't want to go to. Um, we were one of, I would say, two uh, non-white families in our entire neighborhood of maybe a couple hundred homes. And you felt very, very different. It wasn't so friendly. So I felt, I felt very different in the U.S., from literally day one. Now, part of that may have been due to the fact that my parents were Jamaican and back in the 80s in Louisville, Kentucky, there were not a lot of Jamaicans. So my parents had an accent, people there saying, what in the hell? Well, you know, what kind of, what are they talking about? You know, very, very different. So that could have been it as well. But I do know that being treated differently, uh, being, I felt like, I felt like I was different in the U.S. Rather than Canada, I never felt like that, even being a very young boy. But it was something that was very, very prominent in the U.S. And, and, and as I'm older now, I definitely see it. And from the moment I got there and the yoke to the yoke got on my shoulders, it's never went away. Um, I think that, now I don't want to go too far into this, but I think that, um, again, I talked earlier about coming from outside the U.S. where we had that hunger. We had that hunger where, you know, if you get to the U.S., everything's possible. Now, one thing I'll tell you, even being here in China, and I have friends here in Shanghai, literally all over the world, and one thing they all think is, man, the U.S. is a land of milk and honey. And you know what? They are correct. It's not fair. It's not, it's not equal to the U.S., but if you work hard, you can buy a house. It may not be the best house in the best neighborhood, but you can buy a house, typically. In other countries, sometimes no, you 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 you'll never be able to buy a house. You cannot really sustain or make it in that environment. So the U.S. is I, I I will say the U.S. is the land where people want to go. Um, it's not the most welcoming, it's not the most comfortable, but it is what it is. And you know I'd rather be in the U.S. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd rather be in the U.S. Um, than than other places. Thank you for sharing that. I just appreciate your willingness to share that difference between growing up and how it shifted uh, just to give a sense of these differences in different places. And also you said that you specialize in personal development, diversity, and career coaching. And so I'm curious what diversity coaching means to you. Diversity, yeah, I'll say diversity coaching and training. So two, two, two different things. When I, when I talk about diversity, uh, discrimination, inclusion, I'm talking more about how organizations can, can 
can have a welcoming environment for their employees. You, you know, I didn't say how organization can have a competitive advantage. Okay. Over the, even though for, for, for organizations, the companies, when they think about a lot of time, uh, diversity, discrimination, and inclusion, the question is really, how can we have an advantage over our competitors? For the employees, it's really about how can we be more, if, we, if we're very conscious and woke about diversity, culture, inclusion, discrimination, how can we be more valuable in the marketplace? That's, that's the focus there. If I think about diversity, um, um, inclusion, coaching, it's more on an individual basis. You know, there are a lot of individuals whom, especially over the last two or three months, who have come, I'll say, woke or think they're woke, right? And usually they are Caucasian, and more times than not, they're Caucasian females who feel a little, I don't want to say guilty, but they feel a certain way for not either believing their friends of color when they said certain things are going on or not taking action when somebody was being treated poorly. And now they're saying, you know what, I want to be more, be more conscious. I want to actually not just talk the talk, but I want to walk the walk. So how can we really help practice a coaching individual on how they can go from being somebody who was a little, who thought that, you know what, there's no discrimination in the U.S. It's all hype. To being somebody who understands how to be an ally to people who are being treated a certain way. And a lot of times, that's a, a major, major transformation. And I'll tell you why, Michelle. For a lot of people, if, if I'll use you for example. I know you're, you're more conscious. But let's say, for example, um, some of you on your website, you put um, the Black Lives Matter logo. Mm -hmm. You might have some friends that say, what the hell are you doing? And you might have some friends who, who for the first two weeks, they'll say, you know, Michelle, good for you. Good for you. But a month later, okay, Michelle, you're doing, you're going a little overboard now, right? Calm down, right? So a lot of times, you know, people people are afraid that if they if they embrace a movement that doesn't include their affinity group, they may lose relationships. So so for them, how do you get past that fear? How do they do that, or how do they do that without losing those relationships? Well, quite, which quite frankly, they may not be the best one. In the first place, people are going to judge you like that. So helping people to really make that what I call major, major transformation. Also sounds like you're really helping them to connect or reconnect with an inner truth that they've either found or lost. Inner truth. Um, it's very interesting you say that because I don't know if it's inner truth because a lot of times, for example, if, 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 if somebody comes to me or reaches out to me and says, you know, Colin, um, I want to help. Um, I see what's taking place and enough is enough. I would say seven times or three times out of 10, that person may be what I would call a poser. And what I mean by that is they really want to have a picture on their Instagram or social media of them doing something. I'm woke. So now, now I'm, I'm, I'm conscious, like, but they really, there was a couple weeks ago where it, uh, it started with the record industry and it was some, some two black women producers in the record industry who wanted to showcase other 
black women artists. And so they came up with a name and then it got morphed to Blackout Tuesday. And you saw all these white people putting a black image on their thing. And it was just one day and then it was done. Right, right, right. So, so, so people wanted to have that image, but not really having that, at least that, uh, um, that, be, that being part of who they are, really, really. But the good thing is, as I mentioned, out of 10, maybe three people, three to four people oppose us. The other people are really, really, really want to elicit change, not just out, outwardly, but also in themselves. And, you know, I always say the, the, one of the first things to do um, is having a very difficult conversation. And typically the conversation is not with your Caucasian friend, is with somebody of color who you're close to. And if you don't have anybody you're close to, well, that speaks volumes. It, it speaks volumes. For a lot of people, the last time they were close to somebody of a different race was college. Outside of oh, high school, excuse me, high school, high school. Um, outside of that, they have to learn how to have a conversation. And I, I tell people, when you have a conversation, you also you always want to start with what is the intent because somebody often somebody black is not going to really buy into because of all the years of bullshit excuse me <laughs> right they're not going to they're not going to buy into you wanting to help day one you must share with them your intent you know I want to learn more about what you've been through because I want to find ways to be an ally and to help genuine curiosity. Right, right. As opposed to just saying, what happened? Tell me about this. Tell me about that. You have to share your intent and slowly develop that relationship. Yeah. Okay. We only have a couple minutes left and I could talk. We could, I feel like we could chat about these different things for a while. So you've, you've already layered in a couple of tips about one, um, change we can only change those who are open and who are ready and we really have to meet people where they are and so if they might be on a very wide end of it and so maybe we meet them there and they continue doing the the posing or they're not quite ready or then we can you know kind of develop and get more meaningful relationships but when we're talking about reaching out and and really working on our diversity showing up with genuine curiosity and humbleness I think I heard some humbleness in there too yeah, yeah, and let me say, you know, <clears throat> not curiosity, right? Not curiosity, because curiosity could be very offensive. Sure. Right. 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 Yeah. Like. Yeah, not curiosity. Yes. Yes. Can I touch your hair, for example? <laughs> Which happens so often here in China. Oh. Oh gosh. Okay. Right, but it's, but but it's taken very differently over here. I mean, I mean, over here, a lot of times in certain towns, uh, small towns, you're the first black person that they've ever met. So you understand that rather than the U.S., it is different. Right, right. Um, okay. We might need to bring you back for another episode because we can continue these. It's going so fast. It's going so fast. He always does. So we got to know, what's this birthday ritual? Oh, wow. So so uh, my birthday was last week. Happy birthday. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things I, okay, so I, I always try to um, push myself. And about 10 years ago, actually 11 years ago, as I was getting older, I was a college athlete. And I consider myself, you know, to be an athlete. I was trying to stay in shape. And I said, you know, so 11 years ago, I said, you know what, I'm heading to my mid-30s. I feel I'm getting older. What can I do to sort of lie to myself that I'm still young? <laughs> so I decided to start, to start a, a yearly ritual 
So at the time, it was running my age in miles on my birthday. So that was maybe 36 miles. So this year was 47 miles last week. And I'll tell you what this does. In, in, in the beginning, it started with just something for me to prove I'm still young. But it's so, it's August, so it's very, very hot here. Um, what it turned into was a, a Phoenix-type event. You know, Phoenix, you know, you die and you come back stronger. So, so doing this every year, and I, I got to tell you, there is nothing about this that's fun. If you can imagine running 47 miles um, in almost 100-degree weather, it, it is it is it's miserable. It, it, it's, it's painful. Uh, painful on a mental, physical, and emotional level. But I'll tell you what. What it does, it makes me positive. I can handle anything that's put in front of me. Because if you can, if you can know that you have, what, 40, 45 more miles to go and you're already feeling bad, and you know for a fact you're going, you're going to finish, you don't know how, but you're going to finish. If you think about some of the challenges we have in life, sometimes all we need to know is that we're going to make it. And one of the things I tell people is what my birthday ritual does, it reminds me of my formula for success. And I always say there are six, uh, to myself, there are six words that if you follow these words, you will reach your goals. And it's, it's very simple. Do not stop, do not stop until you succeed. That's it. And if you follow that, and when I'm tired and miserable and hating life, I keep going. Every step closer is a step toward the goal. And I think about if I can not stop until I succeed, it means I'm going to succeed. If I don't stop until I finish, I'm going to succeed. So I use that birthday. Now the birthday run is what I call my yearly, my yearly um, rebirth, so to speak. And I get so energized and charged from it. So whether people have a ritual where they're doing push-ups, whatever it is, it could be physical, it could be mental, whatever it is, there's something that makes you, that gives you confidence and makes you really, it makes you, it makes you struggle. You got to go through that pain, through that struggle, because once you come out of it, everything you went through is what your story is. And now you have a story of challenge and success. So my birthday ritual, which um, I love and I hate, I love it and I hate it so much. But when I'm done, I literally have 364 days of energy and I believe that I can do anything. I, I, I say it gives me what I call my Kanye West, uh, my Kanye West uh, uh, confidence, unreasonable confidence. But you can't tell me I can't do anything. Right. Oh, that's a great, great thing. So do not stop until you succeed. Do not stop until you succeed. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, where can people find you? So they can find me here in Shanghai, China. But if you can't make it here, <laughs> you can't make it here. The, the backup is via my website, which is O-L-I-G-Y-E.com. O-L-I-G-Y-E.com. And if you go to the website, you can navigate to my information. That's the, that's the main point of how folks can find me. And, and folks, um, to your audience, whether it be uh, coaching, uh, inspiration, motivation, reach out to me. The, the, the wonderful thing about the world we live in is even though I am here in Shanghai, China, if you contact me, you're not going to be on. Um, you're not going to be talking, you know, two or three days later, um, via Zoom, via phone call. It's very easy, very painless for us to for us to get together. So, 
uh, take a moment now to reach out to me. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Michelle. Balance Shared is produced and edited by me, Michelle Astley. The instrumental music, Grass, by Silent Partner, is from the YouTube Audio Library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at michelleastley.com to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Lassley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together.